looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Pop culture, social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dwoskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Paul, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week was no exception. Welcome, everybody. To episode 72 of Live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin Show. As always, I am your host, Jeff Duoskin. Great to have you back for another fantabulous episode. And we have cranked up all the knobs of fantabulism to bring you the most fantastic episode ever with actor and comedian Rick Overton. That's right. Rick Overton's here, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to talk all about his set list special that's out right now. So exciting. So amazing. And we're going to talk about all the cool projects Rick's been a part of over the years. And I can't even name them all. Willow, Groundhog's Day, Miss Doubtfire, The Office, Seinfeld. He was the Drake. Love the Drake. And <laughs> we also talk about his amazing friendship with Robin Williams and so much more. Amazing conversation. So excited to have Rick with me this week. And that's coming up in just a few minutes. Rick is one of the funniest human beings I've ever met. It was such a joy talking to him. And as a follow-up to last week's episode, where I said I started watching the Comedy Store documentary after Rich Scheidner and Steve Bluestein had mentioned it so many times, and I had said I hadn't seen it, finally saw the whole thing, all five episodes, written and directed by Mike Binder. It's amazing. I loved it. It was so great. Definitely recommend it. If you have showtime, check it out. It's totally worth the investment of time. Also, I know you love listening to my podcast, and thank you so much. But I do want you to check out The Commercial Break. It's another great podcast with my friend Brian and Chrissy. They do it twice a week, every week, and they're good friends of the show. Brian's a regular guest on Crossing the Streams, my weekly live show that I talk about all the time where we talk about cool TV shows you should be watching. Follow my YouTube channel to stay on top of that show. But definitely check them out and get them on your podcast rotation list. Also, if you haven't, definitely check me out on the social medias at Jeff Duoskin Show on both Instagram and Twitter. Follow me there. I love hearing from you. If you listen to an episode and you're like, Jeff, I just listened to your last episode with D.D. Pfeiffer from Big Sky. Man, I thought that chat was so inspirational. Thank you for that awesomeness. Yeah, something like that. Go ahead and tweet that. I know it's incredible how I weave in promotions from previous episodes into my normal yakety yak. I know it's a skill. Anyway, check it out. I love to hear from you. Comment or post on Instagram or Twitter. I watch them. I'm always there. I want to hear from you. Also, if you're looking for the world of Jeff Duoskin, head over to jeffisfunny.com or jeffduoskinshow.com. But jeffisfunny.com is so much easier to spell and tell your friends. You can listen to any episode there. You can sign up for my mailing list. You can buy me a coffee. All the good stuff that you're like thinking about right now in terms of how can I have more live from Detroit, the Jeff Duoskin show in my life. There you go. I'm just spoon feeding it to you. Follow me on any of the podcast apps, Apple, Spotify, Good Pods, anything, whatever you desire, whatever if your heart desires iHeartRadio, then listen to me there. I'm everywhere. All right. Well, thank you in advance for telling all your friends and family about the show. And thank you for coming back week after week. You're so cool. 
And now it's time for the social media tip. This is the fun part of the show for me where I get to share a little bit of my social media knowledge with you. Little 411 I heard on the street. I've run social for a billion dollar company. I've been in the social media space for so many years. And I just like to impart a little tidbit each week so that when you listen to all the episodes, you can string them together and be the greatest social media expert in the world. But <laughs> but per design, you got to listen to every episode. I know, I'm tricky. My first observation on social today isn't so much a uh, tip, but some of you might quickly be realizing that Twitter has updated their entire look on their feed. It now looks like you're on Instagram. And I honestly can't tell the difference when I'm on Twitter now versus on Instagram because it's not Twitter's now wider. It fills up my whole phone, so it has much more of an Instagram feel. I kind of like it. I just got to get used to it. The retweet button now is farther away, so I think I'm going to end up hurting my thumb at some point, stretching it for retweeting. Well, I'll either hurt it or I'll have the strongest thumb in the world, and I'll be able to enter thumb fighting contests. So I guess thank you, Twitter, for that. But my tip, my real tip is is consistency. So you have to, on all the platforms, you just have to be consistent. You can't disappear. You can't post a TikTok and then disappear for two months. I know because that's what I do, but that's bad. So it's also important to pick the social platforms that you can be consistent on. I'm most consistent on Instagram and Twitter. Like on Instagram, Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, that's when I post, always. So you know something's going to pop up. Twitter. I'm much more frequent and more daily with it. You have to be consistent. People have to know that content is coming so that when they're following you, they can react and expect things and not be surprised if something just pops up out of nowhere. So social media tip for today, be consistent. And that's the social media tip. Let's hear it for my improved singing voice. Thank you very much. 15 lessons. I hope you enjoyed it. A little more singing. I got lots of letters saying, Jeff, we need more singing. And I said, all right, I'm going to do it for you, my fans. Speaking of my fans, I can't thank you enough for all your support of the sponsors week after week. Oh, my goodness. You keep coming back. I get letters from the sponsors overjoyed with the response they get from all of you. Thank you so much, because when you support the sponsors, you're supporting us here at Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show, and you have no idea what it takes to put this show on. We got a staff of 45 working nonstop, 24-7, so every little bit helps, so thank you very much. Speaking of which, this week's sponsor asks, are you looking for an amazing dining experience? Who isn't? Am I right? Well, if it's a relaxed atmosphere and incredible cuisine you're looking for, then you need to make a reservation at Bridges Restaurant and Bar. That's right, nestled within the charming and vibrant East Bay Enclave of downtown Danville, California. So vibrant, so charming. Bridges' distinct atmosphere, amazing menu, and top-notch service will keep you coming back. Consider Bridges Restaurant for your next business meeting or family celebration, or if you have both going on at the same time, Bridges is perfect for you. Our bathrooms are big enough for any quick change necessary to bounce between parties. There's simply no doubt every visit to Bridges Restaurant and Bar will be a memorable one. All right, well, if you live in California, definitely check out Bridges Restaurant. Give them a call. Tell them live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Show sent you. If you use code Jeff is funny, you will receive nothing. You will not receive anything. So don't, you can give them the code, but don't, don't expect anything in return. Sorry about that. 
So if you live in California, check out the Delightful Bridges restaurant. Speaking of delightful, who's ready for my conversation with Rick Overton? One of the funniest human beings in the world came to visit me at my podcast, and I'm about to share that conversation with you right now. Enjoy. All right, everybody. Welcome to the show. I am so excited to introduce you to my next guest, comedian, actor, Emmy Award-winning writer, ladies and gentlemen, the legendary Rick Overton. How are you? Hey, thanks so much for having me on, Jeff. This is great, man. Appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's so excited to have you on. I can't wait to talk about all the exciting things you've done. You're I was looking at your IMDb. I don't even think you could fit everything you do on a CVS receipt. I mean, it's like, <laughs> well, I've been at it a while. So I had a lot of lucky breaks. I timed it pretty good. Right now you have something exciting out. It's an hour long special. It's yes. part of this set list. Set list is a game where they put a screen behind you and they project topics that you've never heard of or thought of. And they're not easy topics, not like airline food or dating. This is like blended words, accounting instead of accounting. So you have to come up with putting the two premises together into one. They go five, six, seven, usually in a normal set. And I thought, why don't we just do an hour and make a special out of it? And so it's Rick Overton's set list special and it's on comedydynamics.com, but you can see it on Prime. You can see it on Hulu and on YouTube. You can rent it. It's hopefully the first of many specials like that because you don't need to work a whole year of building up for it. The person writing the questions might have to put a little extra work into it, but you don't get to see those till you're up there. And so that was how I thought some old man, some gray beard old man is going to introduce himself back into the biz again. Might as well do something kind of different and interesting. It was great. I watched it. I watched it on YouTube for anyone listening. Thank you. That's where I caught it. Most of the time when people watch a comedy show, it's scripted material. Maybe they've been working on it for a year, 10 years even, right? This is entirely improvised with 45 minutes of the hour. That's it, yeah. And then brilliantly, the last 15 minutes is you sitting with Tony and Paul Provenza and kind of they replay some of the clips. Then you go into your thought process of while you were up there. Yeah, Troy Conrad is the inventor of the game. He's the actual, he created Setlist and Provenza produced it. And we thought we better do some explaining about what the hell we're trying to do here. Cause it's so weird and different that we thought we better go over the actual dynamic and the challenges involved. Cause it's not like normal and it is scary, but if you like that kind of scare, it's like the greatest thing in the world. It's exciting. It's adrenal. I got to say as a comic watching it, I think I had a little bit of stress during the 45 minutes because I was picturing like, what would I be doing up there? Yeah. You're like a master. I mean, you just you wow. never missed a beat. And then the last 15 minutes, I really loved the deconstruction of all of it. I Thanks. thought that this, was absolutely that was for fascinating. You. That was for you. That was for the comics. We did this for the gang, for our friends. So that you see when you do it, Take some of this with you when you go to play, but you should play it. You should do it. Did you have you played Setlist? I have not played Setlist. No. Yeah. I, I'm assuming they didn't edit too much of it, meaning like, but it's like just the way your brain works so fast is absolutely incredible. Thanks, just thanks. so everyone knows. So Rick would be up there kind of doing something and he would kind of say, and that would lead to, and then he would turn around and they just have some random phrase or something up there, like practice funeral. <laughs> these, these are the ones that he had to react to. Amish nightmares, post-resurrection poetry. That one was brilliant, by the way. <laughs> A clowning you mentioned, four play songs of Elvis. There's 20 some of these. 20. And you got to 
and the, I try to string them together. I think the top version of the game is somehow you tied this and it's liar's club. They give you some stupid item in your hand. You have to pretend it's from ancient Mesopotamia or something like that and make up a history for it and defend it somehow and go back and see which lies you have to double back on and stuff like that. So I try to get myself in more trouble by absolutely committing to something I'm saying and I turn and it has nothing to do with what I'm talking. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. (laughs) Thanks, man. Thank you. Improv has really helped define my life. How did you get into improv? Do you you consider yourself, because you do stand up also, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, to me though, they're like completely different animals. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yes. How did you start down the path of, I'm assuming you maybe started in stand-up comedy and then improv became a, a natural extension of that? Yeah, I, I won't say that there were such hard lines to things. You get up and you kind of, because when I was a kid, my dad hipped me to Jonathan Winters. Of Jonathan Winters. Who was a verbal jazz musician. He was an improvisational genius, uh, incomparable. You know, he's like a Robin was like that. As a kid, I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. You could just do make-em-ups and characters and be anybody you wanted at any time and get laughs. And you didn't have to rehearse and follow this sort of oppressive uh, regimen to get to a thing. that Oh, I could just do. I could just do that. And a lot of people think, well, I could never do that. And I say, well, you probably never gave it a real chance. Because I think lots of people could do it. I think this isn't a lot of people, but society and the parents and the work situation and whatever it was, that addition of life events did not equal sign and you get to do improv. Even though have been the entire time, this isn't, you didn't get a script for this. We're improvising right now. We're doing fine. Exactly. Life is one giant improv. Yeah. Jonathan Winters, I don't remember where the skit was from, but I distinctly remember him being handed a stick. He went on for five minutes. The stick. Imagine that now, late night TV, and the host hands you a stick, and you just start riffing with the stick. It was a different time, and people had just never seen anything like that before. Now I wonder if they would watch with the same innocent perspective or would a more jaundiced eye take over and go, oh, someone doing this or that. But it's only because of repetition. It was brilliant and it is brilliant, but people see it in a different way when they've seen too much of it. It's saturation. Robin Williams definitely kind of took baton on that. That's the stick. He took that stick. He took the stick for sure and ran with it. Yes. Our friendship was bonded over Jonathan Winters. How did you meet Robin Williams? You have a decades-long friendship with Robin, right? Yes. Uh, through uh, Elaine Boosler at Catch and the Improv, because they were hanging out those two for a little while. And I uh, I knew Elaine, and then I got to meet Robin. And he uh, and I had similar loves of not only Jonathan Winters, but of also Peter Sellers. Nice. And all the different characters and stuff, because it was all jumping around and doing characters and things. And Peter did a lot of improv, too. I did not know. I'm not as familiar with Peter Sellers. I mean, I know the, you know, the Pink Panther stuff as I am with like just seeing Jonathan Winters. Cause I think Jonathan Winters, I got to know probably because of Robin Williams. I mean, Robin Williams brought him onto Morgan Mindy and like he was always talking about Jonathan Winters. And so I think my um, heightened knowledge of Jonathan Winters is because of Robin Williams. Robin Williams almost, I don't want to say an extension of Jonathan Winter, but like he definitely took that ball and kind of ran with it. He would always uh, be the first to admit that there's been a, a very positive influence from Jonathan. And there's no denying it. And why bother? It's a badge of honor, I would think. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you guys did shows together? You would improv together? Yeah, it was amazing. And at first it would be about how well you could sort of chase plane behind him. He was the X-15. I was just the regular jet, you know. And then we started going a little more neck and neck. You know, it was never about, oh, I'm going to outdo my friend Robin. It was, oh, we had a, a good time boosting each other. Because a lot of it is uh, you throw him a good idea and he runs with it and then you add on to it. And that was your day. That's awesome. No, no, that's not bad. How did your friendship evolve from just being introduced by Elaine Boozler to doing like these shows together and improving together and just kind of going down that route? He knew I would sort of horse around a little bit with my own act. I was in a team for a while. And then when I broke with the team, I was looking for someone else to play with because I kind of missed that part. A partner back and forth is such, such good stuff. It's, it's acting, you know? And so I uh, would just leave spots open. I said, what do you, you want to come up and riff one night? And he did. He, the first few times he would just take over and I'd sit back and laugh, you know, and then I'd poke in little here, little there, and then more stay there, poke and stay. And now stay and uh, initiate, initiate and run. And those are the steps building up. How many shows would you say you did with Robin? I mean, uncountable. It's incalculable. And the amount of hours is incalculable. The Throckmorton alone, one, four, two Throckmorton. Have you done the Throck? I'm not. It's in Mill Valley, Marin County, just across the bridge. And it's an extraordinary space. Uh, I hope they reopen soon. In the vaudeville, that's been around forever. It's been over 100 years. And Charlie Chaplin performed there doing vaudeville. I mean, good God, it has history and uh, so much hilarity on those planks. That's an incredible friendship. That, yeah, I tell you, know, when, when Robin Williams passed away, I think it was the only time like a slayer. I was driving. I remember the exact moment. I was too. And I had and I and I pulled over. I had to pull over. I stopped and truck, but I noticed cars were stopping everywhere. In the middle of the street, everywhere. It was like one of the biggest shocks. Because he was only like 63, right? I mean, it was it was he was very young. I just remember that it's uh hitting me so hard. Not like anyone else. It was a rough one, man. That was rough. That was rough. But I'm very grateful for the amount of time I got to spend hanging out with him, to be friends with him and to see him be such a good guy. He would take the time to stop for anybody on the street and not just them. Does your friend want a picture? How you guys want a picture? And it doesn't matter how late he was for something else. He would stop and make sure everybody that like, because he knew these people got him there. It wasn't just an executive stroke of the pen. These are the people that built him up and he loved them. That's awesome. He's from Michigan. He's one of our claim to fame. Him and Pam Dauber were uh, yeah. to my high school, actually. <laughs> my dad, my dad was from Kalamazoo. Oh, nice. You didn't grow up in Michigan, though, did you? No, dad lived in New York by the time I was born in 1954. Okay. And your dad was a big band arranger. So you come from a pedigree. Both your parents were very musical. Musical. Yeah. And so I guess I use rhythm slightly differently. Right. That's what comedy is, right? It's just, it's his rhythm. Yeah. But man, let me tell you, dad was a jazz guy. He worked with Thelonious Monk and there was a lot of improv involved. And that's another reason he loved Jonathan so much. It was the verbal version of jazz. I lucked out, man. I know I caught a lucky series of breaks. I know it, but I'm, you know, I try to use them and I try to help distribute that information. Very cool. But your mom also, your mom was in uh, the Cordettes. Yes. The, the second incarnation. When they, uh, one of the gals got married and pregnant and can't zip into the gown, so mom took over. It's like what happens a lot of four-person groups, uh, ink spots, they franchise, they branch and franchise. And then one of them starts another version of them. Right, right, right. And so, but mom wasn't in that. She didn't start a group. She was the first replacement into the original group. 
And she would do live shows. I got a great story. It was, uh, I think it was the Ohio State Fair. I'm a little kid. And all my heroes were there. And I got to meet Jackie Leonard. And I told him, oh, I think you're really funny. And he goes, well, I certainly hope so for your sake. <laughs> I was looking at my mom like, was, was that? No, no, that's a joke. Oh, okay. All right. Then James Garner, Maverick. And he took his magazine, his uh, Popular Faces magazine, rolled over, hit me on the head. Uh, I did a stunt. I went back like that. And then uh, I'm feeling pretty good, right? I'm feeling my oats. I go outside. It was crazy. This is one of the formative things to make me think about showbiz. I'm outside and uh, there's a 1961 or 60 or something like that. And maybe, maybe 62. And I'm at the putting green outside. And I don't know what, maybe just go. And I wailed on that ball and it went into the pool. Mm -hmm. So this old man who was just crispy brown from suntan and completely bald dives into the water, pops up just as I get there. Here's your golf ball, young man. George Burns! I was flipped out at George Burns, hands me the golf ball. And then as he's signing it for me, I said a joke. I said, wow. I'm pointing to his skin. I go, George really burns. And he went, oh, ho, ho. And that's like, you don't know how much that means to get an oh, ho, ho from George Burns when I'm trying to see if I have any chops, you know? Oh, ho, ho, ho. I, went, oh, man. I got to do comedy. That's awesome. I mean, that's kind of, that's what, that's, that's not the, that's not the only thing, but man, that was a big one that day. That's really cool. Another version of that story is you almost killed George Burns with a golf ball. <laughs> <laughs> Say goodnight, Gracie. <laughs> Hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah. <laughs> Gee, that would have been a different story altogether. <laughs> and there's the time when I, yes, I was a child. They, they couldn't prosecute me because I was a child, but I, I killed George Burns. I did it. It's <laughs> uh, <laughs> kind of surreal. Mr. Sandman, which is one of the Cordette songs. I mean, that song is used in so many movies. So do you just get a kick every time that song comes up? Yeah, a lot of times they use cover groups. There's times when, uh, you know, especially with certain things, when it was dodgy who got the, the royalties and the rights to it, just do a cover group. Let's not mess with it in legal. Oh, so if they do a cover, cover of it, then they don't. Yeah, then you don't have to deal. Then you just have to deal with one thing for the rights of the song, but not for each artist's voice. And all. Got it. I heard Louis C.K. tell a story that he was trying to get, you know, for his show, Louis, Louis, you know, where it, which was based on the old song. And he couldn't find someone to to mimic it right. And he hired the actual guy <laughs> to re-sing it to get wow. around all the costs. I didn't ever hear that story. That's a wild story, man. Wow. Is he back? This was before everything went down. <laughs> they rehabilitated George W. Bush dancing with Ellen. Everything will be fine. <laughs> all right. So you're entertaining George Burns. You're making George Burns laugh. Just a little kid, man. Just testing my chops. Did you test your comedy chops when you were a little kid? Yes. Didn't you do yes. that? Yes. Didn't you see if you could get that one girl in the class to giggle? <laughs> Didn't you see if you could get your teacher to laugh? Yes. Did you ever try to get, and then you found the one teacher that could, and you just stayed with it. When the other teacher was being shitty to you, you'd go to the nice teacher, get the laugh again. When I went to school, I was the, the dork, right? So nobody, I was very quiet in school. Towards the end of my high school, I took a mass media class. This is what I remember. I wrote all that. We did a news broadcast. I wrote this comedy routine and the teacher's in the back room and all my high school peers are sitting there. I'm doing this thing and they're just staring at me. The teacher walks in 
rolling laughing. Like, this is the funniest thing he's ever heard. But he walks into a room where nobody's making a noise. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, oh, man. So, yes. Okay, so, all right, so you got the chops. George Burns, you don't kill George Burns. He gives you the confidence. And then later in high school, when you're much older, <laughs> you start a comedy team. Yes, a decade later. I started uh, doing a comedy team with Ton, T-O-N-N, Pastor, P-I-S-T-O-R-E. And we were Overton and Pastor. And uh, we did assemblies with sketches like we would be the morning helicopter traffic report team and the engine on the copter dies <laughs> while we're doing it. And I'm trying to restart the copter out the door. And then we tell everybody to uh, try to avoid Route 4. There's about to be an accident. And that would be like one of the bits we would do in our uh, assemblies. And there'd be blackouts and stuff. And we'd have to, please get the lights right. Please don't hang us, you know. So we did about four sketches and we had some fun, man. And then his life took him to Florida to get into the unbelievably regular pay, lucrative meat distribution for grocery stores business with his father. And to this day, he is one of the kings of it. And I think if he'd stayed in comedy, he wouldn't be anywhere near all that. He went where he had to be. But I had to find a new something or other, right? So I looked for a new partner. So I found Roger Sullivan. My buddy Bill Spitz put me in with this guy. He says he's like Marty Feldman. He's a wild man. And he just goes everywhere. And uh, Roger and I did Overton and Sullivan for five years. But man, let me tell you something. Your artists right up and did everything. Oh, you were brilliant. No, you were more brilliant. Until they start paying you. Then it's whose premise was more important than whose punchline, that long infinity drive home. Money ruins everything. It gets like a marriage. The money destroys the marriage. It's destroyed this comedy team. It just becomes tough. They don't pay you twice for the amount of time you're up there. Right. You get paid once for the same increment of time as the solo. So I, uh, that's not why I broke up with him necessarily but it made all the pressure that did and it was also because he didn't love to improvise he wanted it to be we write this sketch it is a perfected thing and we do it perfectly every time but i want i want to play man so that's what really i think the bottom line is that tore it apart and then i was floating around and chris albrecht picked me up thank god for that he was at icm at the time and he's just, i think it's just stars now he uh brought a whole bunch of the comedians out to California for the comedy boom and working with Bud Friedman on Evening at the Improv. Oh, wow. And that was really, a lot of people don't point that out. That's one of the markers for the comedy boom was Evening at the Improv. Because whereas you would see a comedian every now and then on Johnny or Merv or something like that, this was comedy, comedy with all comic, all through. And sometimes five nights a week or whatever it was at a certain point. And yes, we did burn through our material more quickly. That did happen, but that was going to happen anyway. So made you write faster. And that's, again, where improv comes in. It deserves the credit for the place that it has in comedy history. It really was one of the marker points, evening at the improv. And that was in the early 80s to the early 90s, right? That's right. You got it. And then Comic Strip Live and a lot of other people picked it up. And that was also really good. Because people could rely on seeing stand-up comedy and trying to understand who comedians were. There wasn't a saturation point yet where they just, okay, uh, with the comedians, yet could put five in a row five nights a week i'm not sure that's that's what you could do today for evening in the improv you may you were on seven times is that right maybe more <laughs> i lost track man. <laughs> hey what are you doing this week can you do an evening at the improv 
uh, notebook, notebook, notebook. Because uh, 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 it got little Mark uh, did it, did it already. Don't do it again. Uh, okay, okay, I got it. I got it. Uh, the dentist. Okay, the dentist. What are the dentist? This all had to be extremely TV friendly, right? I mean, how much should they kind of want to see or set ahead of time for all these kind of make sure it didn't spark a controversy? <laughs> Great question. And at first it was really fiercely observant. And then once they got to know you, they figure you kind of got the idea. We don't have to spend a ton of time because we have 10 other people. We do have to spend that. You're an old regular now, so we won't focus on that with you. We'll just trust it. Don't fuck this up and don't fuck us when we're there. Was this sort of like the exposure? Because you were on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson as well, right in the middle of this. One time. But well, one time. That's one more time than me. Right? Let me tell you the one time. Well, <laughs> uh, this is an unusual story. You like stories, right? I love stories. I got a, I got a beauty. You know the controversy with Joan Rivers? Yes. You know that there was a big problem with her, Johnny feeling betrayed, that Joan cut a half hour into his time, but that's out of her hands. The network brings you a, an offer. There's not that much you can do about it. So you can only say yes or no to some things. You can't control all the details in between. And she wanted to get her own late night shows. She spent years working on that. And she believed in me. And she brought me on the tonight show because they were a little wary of me because I do kind of edgy, not sure what I'm going to do material. So the, she just said, screw it, bring them on. And because uh, she does that. She was a man. She was a fighter and a, she had brass ovaries. She was a scrapper, man. Oh, I loved Joan. I was on the show. I had a good set. Freddie de Cordova was going over every single word of mine. And, and by the way, I, I'm basing my encounter with Freddie de Cordova from that experience from my character as the comedy booker on I'm Dying Up Here. But that's for another. And so, looking at the notes and hmm, stern intimidation. <laughs> like that. Oh, God. So, you remember hearing about the night there was a big fight at The Tonight Show with Joan? Did you hear about that? I know she left to go to, I think, Fox, right? And then there right. Was Fox had the cutting half into Johnny time. So he was furious about that. And Freddie was through the roof angry about it. There was a sort of there had to be her last night there because of the fight. Guess who was on that night? I'm going to guess Rick Overton. Guess is associated with that night. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for me over there, my friend. But thank you, Joan. Uh, God bless Joan Rivers. Joan Rivers was one. God of the, bless Joan Rivers. Joan Rivers was one of the comedians that I grew up really liking. I think I have cassettes still of hers in the basement because my parents loved Joan Rivers. Oh man, she was fierce. Yeah, she was great. Splendid. So good. And so I have a sort of an odd piece of comedy history there. I have another piece of odd history. You know who? Uh, Tony Clifton is. Absolutely. Tony Clifton, Andy Kaufman, Tony. Clifton. Andy Kaufman's alter ego character, the mean sleazebag guy. And at first, when he was test prototyping it, he didn't have any makeup. He didn't even have a tux or anything. He had a T-shirt and he would just do his hair out like this. And you had to treat him like he's Tony Clifton when he comes into the club. Hi, Tony. Anything you want, Tony. But he pulled me aside and he said, and he's, he wasn't Tony. He was supposed to be. But he told me, he's like, okay, I need you to be in the audience tonight. And I go, okay, I got, I'll give up my set then. All right, okay. So I told Roger, ah, I'm going to do a thing with Andy tonight. I'm sorry, man. And so, you know that bit where he pulls someone up? He goes, yeah, you want to know what's funny? I'll show you what funny is. Yeah, and he pours the water on the guy's head. Sure, sure. I was the first guy to take the water on the head. Amazing. To test it out, to see what the crowd would do, right? And you remember, the, did you ever go to the Improv in New York? I have not. 
Did you see it before it closed? No. The stage had a door, an exit door, right out to the street, right off to the side of the stage, right on the 44th. And so uh, he sploosh and goes, hey, this is bullshit. I'm going to talk to the manager. Bang, out the side door. <laughs> and then I get in the back and I watch the rest of the show. I'm going to see what's going to happen next. Boo, you suck. Get off the stage. And then he gets the bongo out and goes, Arizona tried to make you laugh. Remember that bit he did with the crying? And he'd win him back. He'd stop being Tony and he'd win him back. I've just never seen anything like that before. I've never seen anybody be that hated and then that loved instantly. That's so cool. Those are two huge comedy uh, moments for you right there. I and mean, I know of a million, I'm sure. Fun but little like, moments. Uh, those are pretty cool. Those are awesome. Emmy Award winning, Rick Overton. You, you spent time with Dennis Miller on Dennis Miller yeah. Live. You won an yes. Emmy. Very proud of that, Emmy. And it was an honor because certainly it is the cumulative effort of that team is why I have it. I'm not taking any individual credit for any of that. I did contribute. It was used. It got last. I was on that team, but that team was splendid. And each one of them was brilliant. Love Dennis Miller. Dennis, 80s, 90s Dennis Miller was a huge. I love the Saturday Night Live years. Like those. A fierce intellect. So smart. And then I remember the very first ever kind of comedy routine I did before I knew I was going to be a comedian was a camp and they had a talent show. And I, I did Dennis Miller and I wrote news jokes, you know, based on. Ah, camp. good. And and so I remember doing that and like, I have photos, but it was way before you would have video or anything. But yeah, huge, huge. I remember seeing him in concert and Rita Rudner opened for him. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful time. Oh, that's very cool. Was it like working uh, like it's because it's a grind, right? Working for shows like this where you're trying to come up with news. Oh my God. You want to know about the grind? This show was on Friday, not Monday. That means every late night show, girl. It was like, you're the last wolf on the carcass. And there's just this shit hanging off the, the ribs at that point. All the good stuff's gone. Oh, man. And, you're just, and, and so what you had to do is you had to get really inventive with what those little nibbles were. Because you're watching. Oh, that was a great joke. Oh, that was the one joke. for You know, sometimes some subjects that have the one joke. And oh, the son of a bitch got the one joke ahead of us. All right. Let's see if there's a fifth joke for this. And so a lot of time is training your brain to look for alternate ways to do things and adding character pieces and embellishment and stuff like that, because the other wolves got it already. You don't have a choice. That, at least back then, you were just competing with the other shows. Nowadays, you'd have to compete with Twitter as well, kind of scooping up all the jokes. I mean, just people naturally kind of going all in. Nonstop. All those comics not on staff, sort of just advertising their wares in a way. Yeah. I can't blame them. That's not a bad idea. It's the only other way to do it. It has, social media has clobbered the publicity business. I have to say those poor folks have had to find a way to retool their existence because this plan A isn't doing it. Getting rougher and rougher. It's getting rougher and rougher. So of the many, many amazing things that you've done, well, let's talk about Ron Howard for a minute because you've, at least off the top of my head, I can think of two, Gung Ho and Willow. Three, what was the third one? Ed TV. And it was a wonderful time every time he's a, you know the stories about Ron, what a great guy he is. You've heard all of that. So I'll just add my name to the list. He is that great a guy in real life. And you can really see the influence of his wonderful father, Rance Howard, who was a, was a prince of a guy, just a lovely fella. And a mom too, sweet. He just comes from a sweet family. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. Anybody, I think, who goes from one thing in the cultural psyche, like, you know, Opie yeah. and then, then yeah. Richie Cunningham, and then to yeah. become like <laughs> one of the 
become one of the most renowned directors, right? That's I right. mean, it's just, it's uh, an incredible path. That's quite the journey, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, he's uh, left in a lot of indelible work and still doing great stuff. Absolutely. So let's talk about Willow, especially working with Kevin Pollack. Having worked with me in Gung Ho, he said, who do you, who do you think would be funny to work with? As a frickin' frack. And I thought of a couple of people. I said, what about Kevin Pollack? And we came up with those little... <laughs> voices together. We got to actually design some of our own wardrobe a little bit. I came up with the idea of having a yuppie folded sweater sleeve with the rat skin on my back because he's sort of this imperious douchebag, you know, with his crown king of the of the forest thing. And Kevin came up with he's bald at the end with the rat head comes off. That was his gag. He wrote that. We put it in. So it was great. Val Kimmler and Warwick Davis, they never made sequels to that movie. You think that, that would have been a good one to kind of it didn't do very well at first. And America was uncomfortable with a little person being a lead. What a silly thing to put in the way of such a wonderful project. And he's hilarious. He's hilarious. This guy is hilarious. Did You've seen him do the, the other comedy stuff. Life's too short. He's just un, he's as funny as any of the comics. Yeah, Warwick Davis is awesome. I'm a big fan of that and the Leprechaun movies. Big fan. In terms of Willow, I hear they're bringing it back as a TV show or something on Disney. Or yes, they're gonna they're 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 talking to about a uh, Willow series, but just like with Mandalorian, doesn't mean they'll use a lot of the old folks. Right, right. I ran into Kevin at Whole Foods down the street, and I asked him about it. He said uh, he hadn't heard anything directly about it. He talked to Ron. I worked with Kevin Pollack once. Nice guy at a charity event. It was cool. I got him to sign my Usual Suspects and a Few Good Men DVD. <laughs> Wonderful. Yes. So you were in uh, the Rocketeer. Yeah. And I hear they're bringing, uh, they're going to do a sequel to that. They may need you to announce it's the Rocketeer again. I was just going down to the set. Joe just said, "Hey, do you want to see the clamshell scene where he's flying around in the band shell?" And I said, "Oh yeah, I'll come down tonight." And he goes, "What size are you?" Oh, I know what that leads into. Uh, and I gave him the sizes. And uh, so when I got down there, he says, "How would you like to be in the movie?" I said, "Yeah, you bet." How would you like to be in the trailer? Oh, now how can you guarantee that? You're saying the title of the movie. Mm-hmm. That's right. Oh, thanks, Joe. <laughs> Say it for us right now, Rick. It's the Rocketeer <laughs> with the Mid-Atlantic. It's the Rocketeer. <laughs> Is Miss Doubtfire the, the only movie with Robin that you did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. I mean, if you're going to pick one, that's pretty cool. Oh, we were doing, there's some improv in the, I guess it's the Blu-ray. You can see it. Some added scenes where we were coming up a shtick where he's getting drunker and running back and forth at Bridges Restaurant where I'm the maitre d' and he is flipping me money to not say anything <laughs> and everything as he's going back and forth. And so there's a lot of it didn't make it in for pacing, but we did some funny shtick. Oh, that's hilarious. It must have been so much fun. You were in like so many like would be considered iconic movies. Um, Beverly Hills Cop, Eddie Murphy, Airplane 2, the sequel. <laughs> yeah. I gave Steve Stucker one line. Which one? He opens, he's typing on the old Royal Iron typewriter. And then he, I told him, flip the lid up like there's a mirror. And so he flips the lid where the where you can replace the ribbon. He goes, oh, look at me. I'm a mess. Like that. <laughs> and, then, and right back to typing again. So uh, yeah, Steve and I were buddies. That's awesome. Earth Girls Are Easy with Jeff Goldblum, Jim Carrey, Gina Davis. Julie Brown. Julie Brown wrote Earth Girls Are Easy. Right. So cool. Julie Brown, the homecoming queen's got a gun. One of the greatest bits ever. She's hilarious. She has such a dark sense of humor. Oh, I know. She's so cool. (laughs) 
Groundhog Day. I mean, with Harold Ramis. Sure. A second city man. Thank you for letting us play. You know, a lot of that drunk by the car and I got to throw up. We were winging all that with Bill. He came up with a lot of improv for that. Awesome. Because Harold was a second city man. He said, let's see what we could get. That's that's one of the best movies ever. Really? And then in sitcom history, The Office, Pam Beasley's father. That's it. And the topper would be Seinfeld. You were the Drake. Love the Drake. <laughs> Hate the Drake. Just keep saying the keep saying the Drake. I got to throw in the crying. That wasn't in the script because those guys exhibit enormous discomfort around emotionality. So I thought, why not just make them want to crawl out of their skins? As if we falling apart while talking to them. <laughs> oh, the Gaglianos, they're pretty good. The entire time, I want their shoulders up like that. And Larry said, yes, let's put that in. So it's knowing where to put improv in. It doesn't hurt the scene if you know where it goes. And if you study improv long enough, you guys will have that. And they'll give you a little, I won't say it's carte blanche, but it's a lot more freedom than just robot with script. When I was looking into the some background on the Drake. There's a Drake. There's a real Drake. Oh, there's a real Drake? Just like there's a real Kramer and there's a real Joe Davola. Larry uses real names like all the time or used all the time on, on Seinfeld. There was a real Drake. That is so cool. So this is a funny, this is a funny quote I found from an article. You ready? The Drake is an extremely popular character. This may have something to do with the understated and subtle acting by Rick Overton, who portrayed this quintessential yet meaningless character. (laughs) (laughs) Who's who's who wrote that? That's very nice. That's Uh, I'll send it to you. I'll send it to you. Oh, thanks a lot. He doesn't really. There is no moving the story along, except that they were getting me the TV. And my fiance, right, who is no longer my fiance, and Elizabeth Dennehy, uh, magnificently straight faced through all of that. So, it, two episodes of Seinfeld, but they do talk about you in a third. Oh yeah, speaks to yes. the power of the character, right? Uh, by the way, in the second one, it was the second to last episode and last episode of I think ninety three season. I'm there with Elizabeth since the big TV's gone, and we're watching. I remember the little Watchmen. That you hold in your hands, got the little antenna sticking out. Uh, you ruin everything. You ruin everything. <laughs> nice to give us that little button tag watching the, the pilot. So funny. Yeah. You're comic royalty, Rick Overton. And I can't thank you enough for hanging out with me. I'm lucky break. Thank you for inviting. Where can people keep up with you on the socials? At Rick Overton on Twitter. Go check out that comedy special. Rick Overton's set list special. On Amazon Prime, on YouTube, on Hulu, ComedyDynamics.com. I'll put links to everything in the show notes so everyone can jump to it. I definitely highly recommend the set list special that Rick did. It is, if you want to watch a masterclass in improv, that is a must watch. Very grateful. Thanks, man. And what's going on for you? Tell everybody what you're doing. Doing this podcast week after week. All right. So the uh, that's where I'm at. <laughs> thank you for it. Right on. Well, Rick, thank you once again. I can't thank you enough. This was so fun hearing all your stories. Oh, what a treat uh, talking with you about them, too. Appreciate the appreciation. <laughs> thank you so much. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Rick Overton. Definitely check out his set list comedy special. I'll put a link in the show notes for you. A real master class in improv, that is for sure. Also, take a look at Rick's IMDb page, also a link in the show notes. Amazing the amount of projects he's done and things he's been in, making us laugh for all these years. So thank you, Rick. And can you believe it? 
Here we are nearing the end of episode 72. I can't believe it. But as we near the end of an episode, we all know what that means. That's right. That means it's time for another trending hashtag from the world of hashtag roundup. Follow hashtag roundup on Twitter at hashtag roundup and download the free hashtag roundup app on the Apple iTunes or Google Play Store. Never miss a hashtag game. Play along with us, and one day one of your tweets may show up on an episode of Live from Detroit, The Jeff Duoskin Show. Fame and fortune await you. This week's hashtag is brought to you by Young at Hard Tags, a weekly game on Hashtag Roundup. In honor of Rick's amazing portrayal of the Drake on Seinfeld, I'll be reading tweets from the hashtag game Hashtag Seinfeld a Movie Line. That's right, the ultimate mashup of anything Seinfeld with a movie line, a movie quote. Hilarity can only ensue. Go ahead and tweet your own. I'll check it out. In the meantime, I'm going to read some off. Uh, You know the drill. They'll all be retweeted at Jeff DeWaskin Show on Twitter. They'll be in the show notes. Show them some love. One day, they'll show you the love when your tweet is read on Live from Detroit, the Jeff DeWaskin Show. Without further ado, let's get into some hashtag Seinfeld, a movie line, tweets. Leave the gun. Take the muffin top. These pretzels are making me thirsty, Lisa. All right. The classic from The Room. You had me at yada, yada, yada. What we have here is a failure to make a reservation. Nobody puts Newman in a corner. Illinois soup Nazis. I hate Illinois soup Nazis. Soil and green is people. Who are these people? Life is like a box of Kenny's chicken. I feel the need, the need for airing of grievances. You close talking to me? You close, you, you talk, you close talking to me? We're going to need a bigger salad. These are some amazing hashtag Seinfeld, a movie line mashups. The postman always rings twice. Hello, Newman. We're going to need a bigger babka. You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have yada, yada, yada. And now. Our final hashtag Seinfeld the movie line. You can't handle the soup. <laughs> oh, man. How fun were those? That's right. Twitter is a magical place of hashtag fun. Join along. Play along. Tweet with hashtag Seinfeld the movie line, and I'll be on the lookout for it. Well, can you believe it? Episode 72 is come and gone. We're at the end of another episode. Don't cry. Just be happy that it happened. I want to thank my guest once again, Rick Overton. Everyone check out his comedy special. I want to thank all of you for coming back week after week. It means the world to me, and I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show, and we'll see you next time.